Today's episode of The Rewatchables on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by Vudu, a leading streaming app with a library of over 150,000 titles available to rent or buy, including John Wick 3. It's available. Yeah, go to Vudu right now. It's there. Over 10,000 titles you can watch for free on their ad-supported on-demand service. Enjoy everything from the latest Hollywood blockbusters like John Wick 3 to your favorite indie films without subscriptions or contracts. Right now, if you go to Vudu, you can find a couple movies we've already done rewatchables on, free with ads, including Fatal Attraction, Karate Kid, Thelma and Louise we have not done yet. We probably should at some point, but a whole bunch of good ones. Head to Vudu.com slash rewatchables. Sign up. Start watching today. That is VUDU.com slash rewatchables. We're also brought to you by Allbirds, the perfect shoes to express your personal style to the fullest. Their simplicity stands out in a good way. There are no logos to distract from the rest of your look. Only clean lines and subtle detailing to create a visually appealing look. Plus, their range of colors can follow however you're feeling. Be as subtle or bold as you want. Choose from a variety of silhouettes to match your style in any situation. Allbirds, the perfect shoes for any style. Get your own pair at allbirds.com. We're also brought to you by the Rewatchables 1999, which is coming back very, very soon. How soon? This week on Luminary, and guess what? We've lost our minds because the first one we're doing for the Rewatchables Day 299. God, are we really doing this? This is really happening? Eyes wide shut. Oh, my God. Yeah, we went there. Mallory Rubin showed up with a mask and a gown. I mean, we really went for it. If you're not subscribed to Luminary yet, check out two months of access to their premium content for free if you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Cancel anytime. Terms apply if you ever want to really hear uh, Eyes Wide Shut broken down. And Lord knows why you wouldn't. I would check that out. All right, coming up, me, Sean Fantasy, the legend himself, Aaron Sorkin. How did we get this guy? Yeah, we're going to be breaking down Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The 50th anniversary is coming up in September. That's what's happening right now. Raindrops keep falling on my head. What do you think? Not so good. Can you take the two on the right? Kid, there's something I think I ought to tell you. I never shot anybody before. One hell of a time to tell me. Raindrops are falling on my head. Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Catherine Ross in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Rated PG. Welcome to the Ratchables. Sean Fennessy is here. Special guest, Aaron Sorkin. How are you? I can't believe you're actually doing this. I threw it out there, and then you you just kind of marinated on it. Anything to be with you. (laughs) Anything to talk about the movie we're going to talk about. So I asked you to pick whatever movie you wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. Sent some suggestions. You blocked them aside like Dikembe Mutombo, (laughs) and you said, I want Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's right. So why was that? It's one of my favorite films. It's also the 50th anniversary uh, of the movie. It's one of my favorite films written by William Goldman. And Bill Goldman, who died just a few months ago, uh, took me under his wing uh, when I got out of college and he saw something in me and turned me into a screenwriter. Uh, I also think that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is uh, as close to a perfect movie and a perfect screenplay as you can find. Wow. Yeah. Sean, is this the first modern movie? 
this movie's 50 years old, but it's still like really rewatchable. And I actually could have watched it with my kids, and I think it would have kept their attention. It's probably the first postmodern Western. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think the, uh, the first postmodern Western. And by the way, you can watch it with your kids, and they will have no idea the movie is 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think it was made yesterday. Um, but it was really. First of all, for a Western, there was a lot about it that was incredibly unusual. And Bill writes about uh, Butch and Sundance in his book, uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade, which I would recommend to anybody. Yeah. You don't have to be in the business to I like think it. we both reread that before this podcast. Yeah, just it's to incredibly readable. Um, and, uh, you know, he talks about the fact that uh, it's a Western in which the heroes run away, uh, which they don't do in Westerns. They run to Bolivia, uh, uh, which, uh, which they don't do in Westerns. But it was also the first, the first modern buddy movie. Uh, there had been Bob Hope and Bing Crosby before this, and 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 Dean Martin and oh, what the hell is Jerry Lewis? Yeah, Jerry Lewis, thank you. Um, uh, but this was, you know, a a buddy action movie uh, that gave birth to a thousand buddy action movies, which are still using the same template uh, that Bill created. So if we go back to the 60s, this is 1969. This movie was released two days before I was born, which I thought was interesting. Ah. September 23rd, 1969. Goldman obviously became, you know, a huge influence on me and then became a friend eventually. It's just, I never knew that it was two days before I was born. I thought that was crazy. Well, I didn't know that Um, either. The 60s, things are starting to change around the second part of that decade, just with movies in general. And you probably, you're slightly older than us, so you can remember this a little better than I can. I just, the movies that I rewatch, it really probably starts around 69. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what that is, what that says about me. Sean, Sean goes backwards way more than I do. But well, I'm like, I'm like about 69 and on. And like even Rosemary's Baby just feels old to me. I like Cool Hand Luke. Um, there's been a couple, like mm-hmm. The Hustler, but for the most part, I like when it gets a little more modern. I think The Godfather really to me is like the first one, the first huge drama that feels like he can still watch it in 2019. This was the first, as you said, postmodern Western. <laughs> you know, when we uh, do, uh, do test screenings of yeah. movies uh, and you keep a focus group and they fill out cards and you're interested in how many people check the top two boxes. The top two boxes are... Uh, like would probably recommend and would definitely recommend. Yeah. And the the focus group people tell us that those top two boxes mean the same thing. Um, you don't care if it's the top box or the second to top box. They mean the same thing. And the reason why they give them the two boxes is because people are going to be reluctant to check the top box on a movie. They're going to say, wait a second. Am I saying that this is the best a movie can be? This is as good as The Godfather? <laughs> right. uh, okay. So you want to give them the option of saying, I love this movie. I'm going to recommend it to my friends, but I'm not putting the pressure on myself uh, to say that this and Citizen Kane uh, yeah. are equal in my eyes. The Godfather, because you just mentioned it, that's a movie that no one, there's never going to be a movie that's better than The Godfather. A movie might come along, which at least in retrospect, we say, you know, that may have been as good as The Godfather. But nothing is going to come along where that's going to put the Godfather in the sick. That's right. And interestingly, Bill was offered the Godfather. Uh, uh, He was offered that movie to adapt. And he read the book. And he said, you know what? This This is going to be a great movie. And this is going to be a big hit. And I'm going to pass. He just didn't want to have any part of glamorizing uh, mob life. 
Did you know that? I did know I, that. I think I knew that and forgot it. Yeah, and the, no. th- that whole the process of how Coppola adapted it too with Puzo, and I don't know if you've seen the Godfather journals. That's the, also the most fascinating. Yeah, I have the Godfather journals. They're great. So, uh, such a great uh, book. If you get your hand on them. But it's, it, I mean, it's just interesting. Now, look, Bill didn't mind glamorizing two bank robbers and <laughs> train <true>. robbers. Right? <laughs> Um, uh, but, uh, uh, that was his position on the Godfather. The whole buddy thing. You're right. And I realized this as I was rewatching this and I hadn't watched this movie in a while and I w- you could see all the seeds for all these different things. Then I was doing the research on it. So he, he focused on Butch Cassidy kind of honed in, in the late fifties and spends eight years trying to figure out what the screenplay is. Yeah. And uh, over and over again, he's convinced it's the relationship between the two guys. And that's the movie. Forget about the shootouts. And he makes this point in his book. There's actually not a lot of violence in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like the key of the movie is actually the back and forth between the two guys. So you're saying that had never really just been a movie before. No. Uh, uh, it, it ha- Listen, um, uh, you're going to get e- email from people correcting me. What about this? And th- 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 I may have forgotten something. Um, but this movie was a hit. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, it was a box office hit. It was a critical hit. Bill won the Oscar uh, for Best Original Screenplay. He had studied it, uh, studied these guys for a long time at a library, which was the only place you could do research on something uh, in the 60s. <laughs> That's so funny. Let me think about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there were these two, honest to God, outlaws uh, from the turn of the century, the turn of the last century. Um, Butch Cassidy was known to be an incredibly charming, charismatic guy who robbed banks uh, he was arrested for armed robbery in Wyoming, appears in front of the judge who likes Butch. Everybody liked Butch. Yeah. Uh, and the judge said, Butch, if you promise to never rob a bank again, I'll let you go. Okay. And Butch said, judge, I don't want to lie to you. I can't promise I'm never going to rob a bank again, but I'll tell you what, I'll promise I won't rob any banks in Wyoming. Um, and the judge said, okay, go ahead. Can you imagine somebody today, like being in front of a judge for armed robbery of a bank and, you know, making a deal. If you just promise not to do it near me again, uh, uh, you can go. That was Butch. And then Sundance was, you know, this incredible shot and they were together. And yeah, he wanted to write about the relationship between these two, but the, his big overarching theme in the movie is change. That these were two the the two last outlaws uh, of their era. The world was changing right under their feet, and and that's why they had to run. Uh, uh, that's that's what did them in. And the very first line of the movie sets up that theme. Butch is in uh, a, a bank and he's looking around, and there are all these new security gadgets, just a a safe that has this industrial lock on it, and there are bars, and there are guards everywhere, and he turns to one of the guards and says, What happened to the old bank? It was beautiful. People kept robbing it. It's a small price to pay for beauty. And that's uh, that's the opening scene, and they they talk about change throughout uh, uh, the movie, and change is their enemy. So, he says when he writes about this movie that he knew as he studied Butch, there were two scenes that had to be in the movie. And one was that Wyoming scene. Mm-hmm. And the other was the shootout at the end. And he's like, I know I have these two scenes. And he spent years trying to figure out how to put the Wyoming scene in the movie and ultimately decided it actually ruined 
the structure of the movie to have it in. Mm-hmm. And he has this whole thing in the book about how you have to cut your baby. So yeah, to cut your daughter. Your it's the toughest thing when there's something that you know is good that, um, uh, and for, for, for the, for the sake of the greater good, for the sake of the whole, uh, you've got to cut it. He also, um, well, wait, what was the, what was the toughest one you've had to take out of a movie oh, that just, uh, or a TV show that absolutely killed you? There, there have been a, a lot of tough ones and I've got to cut things all the time, either for the greater good or for length. Um, but you don't I, have like a Wyoming one? Uh, if you gave me a few minutes to think about it, I could give you my, <laughs> my you, maybe by the end of the. Do you save uh, stuff and then refashion it elsewhere? If there's a line that you cut, will you put it in something else? Yes. Um, I, as a matter of fact, the uh, a screenplay is your typical screenplay is about 120 or 130 pages. Mine are longer because they're dialogue heavy, and dialogue takes up more space on the page and less time on the screen than action, which takes up less space yeah. on the page, more time on the screen. So my screenplays are uh, 150, 160 pages charitably. Um, like Social Network was 181 pages. Molly's Game is about 180 pages. Uh, my first draft of The American President was 345 pages. <laughs> I delivered it in a shopping bag. <laughs> and uh, the hundreds of pages that got cut from that uh, made up the first few scenes of the pilot episode of The West. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's um, great. And so uh, that's the best example of this. Yes, that's, that's pretty perfect. good. Yes, yeah. I, uh, uh, that that came in handy. But uh, getting back to stuff that like Bill had in his pocket that he loved uh, uh, as he started writing, he talks about having this secret uh, that he wanted to hold on to for as long as he could uh, in the screenplay. And the secret was that the Sundance Kid couldn't swim. Yeah, um, uh, and that just he couldn't wait to get to those uh, uh, cliffs uh, to write that scene. Who wouldn't? Uh, I want to write that scene. It's fantastic. It's iconic. Um, and in terms of uh, buddy action movie template, uh, that, you know, running to the hill and what uh, what they shout as they're jumping off, you can t- see that ripped off in 50 other yeah. movies. Now. Lethal Weapon is, you know, yeah. doing all that stuff. Um uh, anyway, change uh, was the big theme. And I'll, I'll tell you another first uh, for Butch Cassidy was that um, Bill wrote readable screenplays. Screenplays aren't meant to be read. They're meant to be performed. Uh, but Bill wanted, uh, and, and as a result, uh, they read like an instruction manual. You know, they, they read like a, a blueprint. They're not that exciting to read. You have to be used to it. Uh, but Bill changed all that for the rest of us. Uh, he wanted the person reading it to, he, he wanted to be able to approximate as much as possible the experience you're going to have in a theater uh, by uh, uh, reading the screenplay. So, for instance, when um, there's a great moment, I'm assuming that spoilers, we don't. Uh, oh, we're uh, spoiling yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay, 50 years right. old. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, Craig, uh, don't listen if you haven't. Did you uh, watch, I it? watch it? I watched it. All right, he watched it. Okay. <laughs> The scene when we first meet the super posse. Uh, yeah. Okay, this is going to be what drives uh, uh, the movie, that E.H. Harriman uh, of the Union Pacific Railroad is tired of these guys robbing his trains that, that, that would be delivering the uh, payrolls uh, out west. So he puts together a super posse uh, to go after Butch and Sundance, and that's what 
uh, takes us through the rest of the movie. It was a little like the Golden State Warriors in 2015. Yes, exactly right. Yes, exactly right. Not sure if they were the White Hats. Butch and Sundance don't know who they are. Can't figure out uh, who they are. Doesn't know that this is a super posse put together by E.H. Harriman or or who's in it. And uh, and so Bill gets this great repetition going uh, throughout the movie of who are those guys. Yeah. Um, uh, And so he's got us thinking, who are those guys? But the... And you always see them from kind of far away, too. There's not a lot of That's close-ups right. no, no, no. of them either. There's like there, a light that they're There's never a close-up. You're right. Either there, uh, uh, we, we see their lanterns, um, uh, but we they're, they're thousands of yards uh, away. And it, by the way, this would be a good moment to mention George Roy Hill, uh, uh, who directed the movie, did it magnificently. I'm going to get back to the readable screenplay in a second, but... I mean, let's remember the the things that must have been considered lunacy when when he said he was going to do it, like have the Swingle Singers score the third act uh, uh, of a western. Yeah. Um, so that hadn't happened before, I don't think. Not like that. Never had pop music been used to uh, uh, B.J. Uh, Thomas. Yeah, he's also got. Um, Bert Backrack and yeah. uh, uh, Hal David and Hal David uh, uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. Yeah, BJ uh, Thomas. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten what his name was. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he famously thought that this was the end of his career. By the way, yeah, raindrops was, keep falling on my he head. He thought it was going to be a disaster. Sure. Um, Think again, BJ. Can you name another BJ Thomas? <laughs> yeah, <right> I cannot. <laughs> so, Butch and Sundance, uh, they've just robbed a train, uh, which is sitting there on the tracks. Um, uh, having used uh, too much dynamite. Yeah. Uh, uh, remember? So just the, there's cash just uh, flying all over the place. And they're, they're kind of picking up the cash when they see something and hear something off in the distance. And it's another train. Um, uh, what the hell is going? This never happens. Like two trains on the same track uh, at the same time. And it's another train. Uh, I think it's coming from the opposite direction, uh, uh, in fact. Uh, and George Roy Hill, I mean, just takes all of it. Um, uh, uh, just takes all the time. Let it lets it come to a stop. He gives us shots. Well, you of, think it's going to like ram into the back of the train initially, but then yes. it stops, which um, just makes it even more interesting. Yes, and you think, okay, there's going to it's going to have to be a shootout now or something between the whole Butch and Sundance and and whoever's on that train. Uh, and it comes to a stop, and there's this tense silence of wondering what's going on there. And then suddenly a tight shot of the smokestack uh, on the train with the steam coming out and the whistle uh, that accompanies the steam. The boxcar doors slide open and Bill writes in the screenplay, what follows is the longest tracking shot in history. Okay, (laughs) people didn't write things like that uh, in screenplays, but it gets the reader excited and it gives you, uh, as we... Now, I don't know if it really was a long tracking shot in history, but George Roy Hill certainly laid yeah. what appeared to be several hundred yards of track, at least for the camera to push in uh, on that boxcar as the horses jump over the camera. Um, oh, yeah, uh, that's a good point. And the chase is on. Yeah. Um, uh, the super posse is after them. And uh, what follows is a good 20 minutes of uh, no score, no dialogue, um, just 
these guys trying to, Butch and Sundance trying to lose the super posse over all kinds of terrain that the location yeah. scouts had. Uh, sky, I think they, sh- did they shoot in Colorado or Utah? Or- it's both. Zion yeah. National Park and also in du- okay. du- Durango, Colorado, I think. Yeah. Um, they, I'm sure they had more than two horses, um, uh, but wh- whoever the, you know, playing the two horses, uh, yeah. I usually have backup animals because they get <laughs> one of them is good at deep this bench, another one yeah. is good at that you need a deep bench of uh <laughs> if you ever see the movie war horse yeah. which has the best performance by a horse ever uh, uh in a movie really uh, yeah the goat I've, horse performance yeah, wow uh, maybe a new category for yeah. us yeah hey man seriously I, i'm sorry to get off butch and sign us for a second but war horse the spielberg movie yeah yeah um there, there's a a scene in war horse where joey the horse does I mean, some incredible things. There's no CG involved uh, <laughs> at all. Um, uh, but I'm pretty sure there were five or six. Movie Animal horses. Hall of Fame, Joey the Horse. Joey stuff. the Horse should get the first Lifetime Achievement Award from the Movie Animal Hall of Hooch Fame. Hooch from Turner Does, and Hooch. Yeah, we, we did Hooch the was pretty good. Um, uh, and I, you know, people make fun of that movie. I say, oh, who, who Tom makes Hanks fun of that and a well-trained dog guy. You know, that that's, movie's incredible. That movie's incredible. Anyone who makes fun of that movie, I want to fight. Is, I agree. It was just <laughs> Tom Hanks and a dog for an hour and a Tom half. Tom Hanks and a well-trained dog. It's I'm, I'm there. You can see the three Oscars that are coming from the how he's doing with the St. Bernard. Also, Turner and Hooch, definitely inspired by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Affable guy, silent killer. Oh, yeah, Same yeah. Thing. Sure. There is no doubt about it. Um, I, I, <laughs> I once read uh, uh, years ago, um, and I don't know how, I, I think I was sent this screenplay, like, do, do you want to do a rewrite? Yeah. Um, and it was called uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Oh, Man. Don Johnson. Oh, yes. Okay, the script that I read was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid <laughs> simply substituting in motorcycles uh, for yeah. horses, and they it was like a search and replace for, yeah. the, for the character names. And I actually called Bill because I th- there was also uh, language uh, on this podcast. Hell yeah! Okay, I called Bill. And I said, "Listen, there's literally a scene where they run and jump off a cliff and go shit." <laughs> uh, and Bill just said, "Yeah, that happens." <laughs> he didn't care. So. Can you can you tell us what it was like when Adventures of Screen Trade came out and you had somebody actually breaking down not just what the business was like, but also like, here's how I wrote this screenplay. Here are the things I learned. Here are the tricks I had. Was there anything like that in the early 80s? No, so there he, one book? he includes the, we should say the Butch screenplay he, in this book. Yeah, in the yeah, latest yeah. edition of the book, it, yeah. yes, the, 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 uh, the screenplay for Butch Cassidy. Like nobody uh, had even thought to do anything like that, right? No, his was the first book that did that it came uh, when it, it came out before uh, I, I was a writer it came out yeah. while, while I was still in school I've read it 20 times uh, since then it, uh, it you can go to grad school uh, for the price of this book uh, okay it's kind of like the bible right for yes. screenwriters like yeah. if you're a screenwriter you didn't read it read it it's almost weird uh, yes, although I, I I recommend it to everybody, screenwriter or not, because it's so entertaining. Yeah, because yeah, he's such yeah. an entertaining writer. I mean, it certainly had a huge influence on stuff we did at Grantland and The Ringer, like just how he thought about stardom and that's um, right, and how how nobody knows anything. Obviously, is the most famous lesson from mm-hmm. that, but just how clueless studios are over and over again, and they just have no fucking clue. Well, he, as cherished as the book is now, it did ruffle a lot of feathers when it oh uh, yeah uh, when it came out. Uh, and I I don't know if he didn't care or just adopted the attitude that uh, that he didn't care, but he did a very good job of. 
I don't think he can help himself because, like, if you read the season, the thing he did on Broadway, like, he just eviscerates everybody. He in that does. Book. The season he just is adventures for the screen trade for Broadway. <laughs> right. It's exactly as relevant today as it was then. All you have to do is substitute out numbers. Somebody uh, had that on Twitter today, actually, about the thing he wrote about how somebody becomes a Broadway critic. Like, it's because you're a complete failure. Yeah. You've failed at every part of your life. Yes. And now you just have to bring everyone else down. And that's why you become a theater critic. And, you, you know, I feel like, um, you know, when someone, when someone you love passes away, you, you always have these thoughts. But I've, it, it, I, I wish I could go back and um, kind of have Bill's back on some of these things that he said. Like, yeah. when he talks about critics, I would have liked to have said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what he to listen to him. Yeah. Listen to this guy with him. This is some good stuff here. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's go. Can let's I just go. say one, one yeah. other thing about screen trade that I, I like as somebody who's just a complete neophyte when I read it, didn't know anything, forget about the business, about anything that applies to what we do is especially in the butch section, you know, the big takeaway is about structure. And that's true for everything that you do in mm-hmm. your life is you think about how you build something and where it needs to start and where it needs to end. And he's so self-critical of this script that we're talking about 50 years later, you know, he so, he points out the things that he thinks he did wrong in the script. He talks about for yeah, instance, the dialogue's too snarky. It, he wishes he's it back. The opening scene that I quoted, yeah. he now regrets because he thinks he started off in too wise-ass a way. I disagree with him uh, on that. I, I, I think it's the perfect opening scene. You should know, uh, uh, just, just as a reference point, that Stephen Sondheim... Uh, thinks that uh, I Feel Pretty uh, is a bad song, that he did a bad job with that because Maria, uh, a young Puerto Rican immigrant uh, freshly off the boat, would not be able to use an interior rhyme scheme. Uh, I I feel uh, stunning and entrancing, feel like running and dancing for joy. Um, uh, And I, I say once you're singing, those roles kind of go out the window, right? She wouldn't have a 28-piece orchestra with her right. uh, either. Um, uh, you might, you must have a couple things from that you've written that people love that you probably don't like as much as you did when you wrote it. It's not that I don't like it yeah. uh, as much. Um, but for instance, the first thing that I wrote, which was A Few Good Men. Yeah. That is like my high school yearbook picture. Uh, <laughs> uh, to me. Uh, it's... Um, I can't look at it. Um, Really? I have really fond memories of it. And I'm very proud of what we all did together when we did the play and and then when we did the movie. But it's the work of a possibly promising young playwright who needs experience. It was my starter play. Yeah, that's great. And my starter movie. So a couple of things with Goldman. He said he was attracted to this movie because of the F. Scott Fitzgerald line, who he loved. Mm Mm-hmm. There are no second acts in American lives. He loved the fact that these guys ran to South America and lived there for eight more years. They had yeah. a second act. He just couldn't get over that. So he's attracted to that. He also said, he this is stuff he wrote in the book, that Jack Benny was this huge influence on him that he thought about a lot because he was like, why do people like this guy? He's not like exceptionally funny. He's not like incredibly charismatic. And he realized, he wrote, we just enjoyed being with him no matter where he led us. We want to follow along. And that, I ultimately realized, had to be the spine for this movie, the relationship between Butch and Sundance, which is without a, a, doubt. a weird way to think about it, but really, really smart, right? He's just like, I just want people to like these two guys. And mm-hmm. 
they're going to follow them wherever, even if it's to Bolivia. Yeah. And he was, uh, yeah, but the things that he were ta- that he was talking about and the things that he was thinking about uh, with Butch and Sundance seem kind of obvious uh, uh, to us today, right? 50 years later. Yeah. But it's, he didn't have anybody's footprints to walk in uh, uh, then. It's kind of like today, uh, the debt that television owes to Larry Galbart and MASH. Yeah. Um, uh, because there was no MASH when Larry Galbart uh, did MASH. And ever since MASH, uh, you can, uh, you know, make a network executive understand that there's going to be both drama and comedy uh, in, in the same series, in the same episode, in the same scene. Um, it, a couple of, uh, well, I, I should follow you. Go ahead. Okay. I was um, just going to mention. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> the Knock original title of the movie was the Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy. Yeah, yeah we got that. We're, we're hitting uh, Okay. That sorry. You go um, ahead. He, he said, um, first of all, he's paid $400,000 for this movie, which was like a shitload of money back then. But twice as much as Richard Zanuck was allowed to spend on a script at the time. But it ended up being four fifty. Because at some point they offered him four fifty or four hundred plus a piece, and uh, he's like, "I'll take the four fifty longer than the rest of us." Um, <laughs> By the way, he still ended up really rich. I never saw a check with him ever. I think he did fine, but it's just kind of funny that no, he, did, he didn't take the points. He, he did fine. Um, uh, listen, he his second Oscar was for All the President's Men. Yep, um, and the, the, the joke in Hollywood is there there is no net. Uh, okay, whatever your uh, uh, percent of the net you're promised. And yeah. net to the rest of us means, uh, you know, how much money came in minus how much did it cost? Everything that's left is, is net. And that's usually a lot of money. But because of Hollywood bookkeeping and the things that they're able to charge to your movie, like the development of every other movie that they didn't make. And marketing and uh, yeah, oh, they throw in everything. That there is never a net uh, no matter what. Uh, for example, uh, A Few Good Men cost $41 million to make. It has made over half a billion dollars worldwide and has not shown a profit yet, um, in spite of the fact that there's, what, $460 million uh, in net. He, so, it's a, AMC's just giving it like a million dollars right now to show three times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bill writes uh, All the President's Men, uh, and he has a, a, a piece of the net, and sure enough, you know, year after year, uh, Warner Brothers sends him uh, a statement saying that and, and, and it wasn't an expensive movie to make, an extremely profitable movie uh, at the box office. Year after year, Warner Brothers sends him a statement saying, uh, uh, you know, still in the red. Uh, uh, there's no profit yet. Uh, we're still in the red. After about 14 years, he gets a check for $2,200 um, uh, that the movie is making a profit. The following year, he gets a notice saying, they're back in the red. Somehow the cost of cutting him the check. <laughs> Knocked it back. <laughs> Unbelievable. We should uh, just say, Butch Cassidy made $100 million. It was the, by far the biggest movie of 1969. And if you adjust it for inflation, it's in the top 30 or so yeah, this, biggest uh, movies 34th? of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Somehow like of three Avengers movie are going to make more than that. Meanwhile, it came out and everybody era. went there. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see where it ranks on a list of movies. Uh, and really, I'm not trying to be snarky. I just can't think of a more economical way to say this. 
where it ranks on a list of movies about humans, mm. um, uh, where there are no magical powers uh, involved, no creatures. Uh, no outer space, right. nothing. Um, also an well, original story. I also think, uh, right. like, if you talk about, like, Butch Cassidy, The Godfather, The Graduate, some of those movies from, like, 68 to 72, just the amount of people that saw them versus whatever the gross was. I know. It had to have been, like, the highest percentage of people. You know, you think about The Avengers. How many how many human beings actually see The Avengers? What is it, like, 10 million people? Well, I, it's funny because in both cases, I think, with movies like this, you get lots of repeat customers. You get people who yeah. see Butch Cassidy yes. and they're blown away and they have to see it again. And they, they can't go home and fire up their iPad and watch something on Netflix. They This is an event. It is a social experience for uh, them. That's right. And they also know that the DVD isn't going to be coming out. Yeah. Uh, in a few months, Only it's not going to be available on HBO. Uh, uh, they did go back. Um, yeah, that's and, true. You had to see it before it got knocked out of the theater by somebody else, and then the movie's just gone. Gone. Yeah. Unless yeah. they show it on network TV. That's right. Um, uh, which wouldn't happen uh, for a while. One more Goldman thing. He wrote, 1973, fact, Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid is no question the most popular thing I've ever been connected with. When I die, if the Times gives me an obit, it's going to be because of Butch. So he died in November 16, 2018. And wait, was the first line of his obit Butch or Princess Bride? The New York Times obituary was William Goldman, who won Academy Awards for his screenplays for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and All the President's Men, and who, despite being one of Hollywood's most successful screenwriters, was an outspoken critic of the movie industry, died on Friday in Manhattan. <laughs> Jesus um, Well, listen— uh, yeah, I feel like he would have been mad about uh, what, some part uh, of that sentence. I, I, I'm mad a little <laughs> bit about it, and I'm not sure why. Why uh, is I, the outspoken critic thing in there? That's weird. I, that I, feels I, like I, a dick. I, I, he feels I, about critics too. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, well, other than that, let me say yes. He he, he was an outspoken critic uh, sure. of the industry, but he was also beloved uh, by everyone in the industry respected by everyone in the industry. And as far as screenwriters like myself go, um, there's never been another figure like Bill. Well, who had almost like a tree, like in sports where you have the coaching trees. Exactly right. Screenwriter tree. I'm not the only writer he took under his wing by any means. It's double figures. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Anyway. You know, everybody from Tony Gilroy to Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and uh, uh, Scott Frank. Uh, he was incredibly generous with his time. So 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, Sean. I know you care. It's meaningless. Four Oscars, screenplay, cinematography, original score, best song. Can we talk about the Oscars this year for one quick second? Yeah. So the previous year, Oliver wins Best Picture, and it's the year that 2001's not even nominated. And then this is the year, Butch doesn't win Best Picture. I think Midnight Cowboy wins that year. But mm. all, almost all the films that are nominated are much more commensurate with where movies are at this time. This is the year of Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. This is it. it the, the, the shift is on in a big way, and it's on in a public way. Do you think it was because I was born that year? Yeah, uh, it's I definitely do. possible. People, people knew I was it's coming. Possible. I they do. needed but better from movies. G to X, you know, the rating on Oliver to the rating on Midnight Cowboy, it's a radical thing that is happening. And for a movie like this that I wouldn't say is... It's not, it's not really very blue, despite jumping off the mountain and saying, oh, shit. But there's something in the tone of it that is Well, you left that young. one piece, though. As that's happening, who wins Best Actor? John Wayne for True Grit. That's yeah. right. It's like the last old school, let's that's right. reward so the it, old it, guy. It, for- it was the last gasp of that. Um, uh, and uh, it, it, it was the 
first, it was the uh, really the beginning, the infancy of the seventies uh, a wave in Hollywood that yeah. would yeah uh, that would change everything. Good uh, point. Damn, you said something a second ago that I wanted to at least show my appreciation that you said it. Now I've forgotten what it is. It's okay. It happens all the time. That's how meaningless it is. What I say. Uh, <laughs> Can we it's, talk? Also, it's also a wild bunch here. It's wild bunch. It's butch. And it's true grit. And that's the trifecta of Westerns of this year. And they re- all represent something different about, mm-hmm. about Western movies. It's yeah. fascinating. The reviews of the movie, the early reviews were mostly mediocre. And then it kind of came around. Ebert gave it two, two and a half out of four stars. Said he wasn't a fan of the last hour. The dialogue in the final scenes are the violent, bloody ending. I think he's come around a little bit over the I think or so. he came around a little he bit over fa- He famously did a special in the 80s with Siskel in which they both publicly admitted to not liking the movie. And it was kind of a thing. It yeah. Was, it was kind of a, they, they, they stood by their opinions, but it's, it's a very un, unpopular opinion at this point yeah, to not, not like this movie. Do you guys have great. movies where the first time you saw it, you didn't like it, and now oh, yeah. it's one of your favorite movies? Oh, yeah. I remember leaving the theater with Rounders and being mad because the poker, I, I was just like, I was too confused by the poker, and I was like, I kind of liked it, but I'm ultimately disappointed. I wanted that to be better. And then when it was on cable, it became one of my favorite movies ever. I, I just had this experience with First Man. I saw First Man the first time, didn't get it, didn't like it. Watched it a second time, completely understood it and fell in love with it. Uh, I'll watch it a second time. I, I had that experience with The Big Short. Um, oh, wow. Uh, That's a good I, one. I watched it. Uh, at, didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Uh, I don't know why I ended up watching it a second time, uh, uh, but I did. And it from that second time, well, I've seen it 20 times now, uh, it's genius. Uh, it's an absolute work of genius. One other thing that we just said, we're going to do the categories in a second, but, um, I just wanted to set up Newman and Redford really quick, just for, for the youngers out there. So Newman is one of the three biggest stars of the sixties and is coming off cool hand Luke in 1967. And I think at that point it's probably him. It's they said McQueen and John Wayne, Steve McQueen, John Wayne. I think those are like the big three. Redford is an up and comer. He had barefoot in the park in 67. He he either lost the graduate to Hoffman or decided he shouldn't do it. There's been mixed history on whether. So he didn't get that, but he was in it. And The studio wanted Redford. Mike Nichols uh, wanted Hoffman. Nichols goes away. And then Redford, who's pretty good at well after the fact, changing the narrative of what the history was, <laughs> which he did to our friend Goldman. Um then now is making it seem like, well, I didn't want that because I knew it wasn't the right part for me. But I don't think he got it. He also turned down Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. But he was at this very early stage of his stardom. And yeah. so you have these two guys, you throw them together. And I guess we're going to have to step on one thing here with the casting what ifs. It um, wasn't going to be Redford originally. Well, it was no, going to be Steve was, McQueen. It was like the fifth choice. They, they had uh, uh, Paul Newman, which is how the what's title the, of the uh, movie became Butch Cassidy in the Yeah, Sundance let's do Cape. casting what ifs right now. Because we just we should just go through them. It's such a big part of the movie. They offered Sundance to Jack Lemon. Mm-hmm. He turns it down. That was like riding Goldman's horses. idea, right? Yeah, Lemon um, felt like he had played too many aspects of that character. Warren Beatty turns it down. He thinks it's too similar to Bonnie and Clyde. Steve McQueen is in. Um, he's going to be Sundance, and the movie's going to be called The Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy. Because Steve McQueen's right. like I'm a bigger star than Paul Newman. Sorry. Then they have this whole thing where it's like, well, what about the credits? Am I going to be first? Or is Paul Newman going to be first? He ends up leaving the movie because of this. Is yeah. this true? Is yeah. It seems like true? this is true. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of nonsense happens all the time. First of all, yes, the, the billing thing. But uh, uh, also, 
the uh, the, par- <laughs> the the road le- road not taken, the parts uh, uh, not taken. Um, uh, you know, you were joking before about Turner and Hooch, and yeah. we're waiting for uh, uh, Tom Hanks uh, Oscars after that. Mm-hmm. What we were waiting for was Michael Keaton to pass on just the wrong role, okay, which was Forrest Gump. Um, uh, you were just, you, you knew that- Did he it, really pass on Forrest Gump? Yeah, so did Matthew Broderick. Do, uh, do you know what we call, we have a, we call that the market correction. Yeah, this here. is a Wesley Morris term. Where some, it's, somebody gets, somebody who's like this, gets relatively the same level, and at some point it becomes survival of the fittest. So Michael uh-huh. Keaton and Tom Hanks is one of the best ones. Yeah. They're dead even uh, for like nine years, and then Hanks just- And not, by the way, nothing has made me happier in recent years than uh, the Michael Keaton renaissance. Mm. Uh, uh, that started with with Bergman. Uh, he was a phenomenal actor. Um, uh, anyway, uh, let's go back to uh, uh, to your what ifs. Well, that's just they they the Fox president Daryl Zanuck. Daryl Zanuck, yeah, Zanuck. Zanuck. Yeah. Um, he said he gave an unusual suggestion: half of the prints of the film would have Newman first, half of them would have McQueen first, and McQueen's like, "Fuck that!" So he's out. <laughs> And they go get Redford, who was just this handsome guy that nobody really knew. Theater actor. He was a handsome guy that nobody really knew who was most, if he was known, it was for doing um, urbane comedy, like Neil Simon, uh, like Barefoot in the Park. Uh, He does butch casting in Sundance Kid. Maybe he has a total of 100 words uh, uh, in the entire movie, Right. Um, and he becomes a giant star. In like four expressions. Yeah. He's like it's, it's blank a, face. I, I want to be clear. Of, it's, it's a great performance. No, it really is. He's perfect. For the rest of his career, he would play quiet men. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I mean, he managed to pe- to play um, Bob Woodward uh, <laughs> as a quiet man. For the rest of his career, yeah, he would impossible. play men of few words. Yeah. Smart. One um, of the great all-time close-ups in this movie too of him which then becomes like a redford signature the 32nd close-up but in this movie when we first meet him it's just camera on him with that sepia tone yeah and just holds and holds and holds and somebody else is talking but we always see his redford's face for uh, uh for the longest time i mean that's an editing room decision um uh and a, a good one well goldman says in the book that newman's people were upset with all the close-ups of redford that he had people and he was just like i'm Doing that, they're making this movie. I'm so excited to be there. And there's like bullshit going on like this about Newman's side. Not Newman didn't care because everybody loved Newman, but like his people, like worried Redford was going to steal the movie. Hey, let's take a break to talk about some of the awesome podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you love movies, you'll love the big picture hosted by Sean Fantasy, who's on this podcast. He talks to Ringer people, he talks to filmmakers, he talks to actors, breaks down everything going on in Hollywood. If you like the rewatchables, don't forget about the rewatchables 1999, which comes back this week with Eyes Wide Shut. One of the weirdest movies, not only of 1999, but of my life. Uh, two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free. If you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. And also, our old podcast, Dual Threat, is now gone. Because it's been replaced by the Ryan Rosillo podcast that is launching for us officially this month, September. He'll be he'll be doing three a week. 
He is officially working for the ringer. If you love Ryan Russillo, don't don't think he won't be afraid to have a midweek movies podcast or talk to some filmmaker you didn't expect. You can subscribe to the Ryan Russillo podcast, or if you had already subscribed to Dual Threat, don't do anything. Just high five yourself. So there you go. That's what we have going on. Uh, and also the Ringer Dish podcast, which is my personal favorite because my daughter goes on there once a month and she was on there last week doing the For Realsies pod, Breaking Down Teen Culture. So you can listen to that one as well. Back to Sean Fantasy, Aaron Sorkin, and myself talking about Butch Cassidy. Let's do the categories. First category, most rewatchable scene. I have five, but you feel free to throw in a couple more. This is, so the, the concept of this is if you're flipping channels. Uh-huh. And you notice the movie's on and you've seen it a bunch of times and you go, oh, this scene's coming up. I got to stay for this scene. Okay. Can I try guessing what you're a five are? Yeah, go. Okay. Uh, it's going to be the uh, uh, the first act fight with the huge guy uh, in the hole in the wall gang. That ends with one kick. That's one of them. Right. Um, going to the third act, trying to rob the bank in Bolivia um, and get the Spanish right. I don't uh, have that one, but I'll add it. I like that one. You know what scene I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, it's great. <laughs> um, so, so I had the first Redford scene. First Redford scene, I agree. Just like, like, especially when you don't have a lot of history with that guy and the way they use him and the close-ups and the color is different. Like they do this old yeah. 1870s kind of like, sure. it's like, what's going on in this movie? And then- it's they have to so carefully establish like don't fuck with this guy, mm-hmm. which is a really hard thing to do in a movie. He's not this huge intimidating guy, but everything about how he carries himself in two minutes, I'm convinced. Like, oh yeah, nobody should fuck with this guy, and then it ends with him sh- shooting six bullets yes. right around this guy without <laughs> killing him. It's like, oh yeah, I was right. Instant mythology. It's really good, and the way Newman's in it, Newman knows what's happening the whole time. It, right before Redford pulls out his gun to shoot, Newman is flying, <laughs> flying out of the way. Like everything about that is so good. So I, I got that. I got Butch kicks the giant leader in the balls in right. that whole scene, which Goldman wrote about in his book. Like they people weren't crazy about that. About the, if you have your hero, John Wayne wouldn't kick somebody in the balls. Well, also right. Uh, uh, what they were concerned about, studio people, uh, was Butch and Sundance. In that scene, they're they're joking around uh, uh, dryly, like um, uh, uh, you know, make a bet. Uh, I would, but who'd bet on you? Um, <laughs> right. uh, I know if he kills me, kill him. Uh, uh, that kind of thing. And the studio people want to know why why isn't Sundance helping him out? Uh, yeah. Well, why isn't Sundance saying you know if you want him, you got to get through me first? It's because Sundance knows exactly what's going to happen right. right now. He's not worried at all yeah. uh, uh, about Butch. He knows exactly what's going to happen. So I got that one. The train robbery uh, introduction to the super posse. Yes. You could argue the first train robbery when they just blow up the thing for the first time. But you got to understand Mr. E.H. Harriman himself of the Union Pacific Railroad gave me this job. And I've got to do my best, don't you see? Your best don't include getting yourself killed. Dynamite's ready, Butch. Mr. E.A. Chairman himself, he had the confidence of you. Open the door or that's it. You think E.A. Chairman would get himself killed for you? Woodcock? I work for Mr. E.A. Chairman on the Union Pacific Railroad. And he entrusted me. The, the poor guy gets it's, basically almost yeah, murdered. Yeah, that's George Firth who hey, plays it. Hey, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I had to lift him up. Yeah. Yeah. But that second one with the horse posse. Woodcock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Woodcock. such a great... Yeah. 
Right. Such a great seven minutes and the way it was shot and then how he explains it in the book. That that scene's fucking awesome. Uh, the Bolivian Bank scene, and then I got the ending. Okay, uh, those are all good choices. I'll just add to that. Um, uh, also in Bolivia, uh, he's a great character actor. I can't remember his name, who, who played... Strother Martin? No. Strother Martin no, is he's going to be the, the answer in another category. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, uh, he's, they're bringing the payroll back up the hill. Um, uh, and this guy's guy, um, uh, I'm oh, colorful, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. uh, right before right, right. Uh, uh, he gets shot that scene, um, as well as its sister scene that's coming next, where we find out that Butch has never shot anyone mm-hmm. uh, before all the time to tell me, um, uh, uh that scene. There's some, there's, there's more though. I mean, I can't swim. Well, right. I had, uh, I, I, oh, I had the waterfall, the waterfall scene, the Bolivian bank scene in the ending. I had the waterfall also, scene. I think Bloodso, the meeting with Bloodso, where they in, attempt to enlist in the in the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, but that was going to be my answer in another category okay. that I, okay. I know is coming. So I personally, for me, it's down to the train robbery super pasta scene and the waterfall scene. Yep. And I got to say, the waterfall scene is one of the most rewatchable scenes of all time. All right. I'll jump first. Nope. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! <laughs> Why, are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. The interaction, the I can't swim, My them f- jumping, yeah. the guys coming in. It's just like everything you want from an action movie scene. Absolutely. So I would go with that. Would you My, go yeah. that? My favorite line reading ever, I can't swim. Some yeah. of the fun can't swim. He's so angry. He's so he's so embarrassed. It's incredible. <laughs> and then Newman, yeah, it is. Newman's I, reaction is great too. Yes. What's age the best? The fall will kill you. Um, I just really enjoy Young Redford. I love Downhill Racer. I love The Candidate. Same I like year. the early Streisand movies when I was like a little little kid. Those were like the first movies I think I'd ever seen. Downhill mm-hmm. Racer comes out a week after this movie. No yeah. way. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Nice, nice run for that. That is amazing. And it's something studios would never do uh, uh, today. Because uh, you don't, you know, when your guy is going on The Tonight Show, you don't want him. It is the, the whole concept of Young Redford has, has Hollywood has been trying to make it happen for 50 years since, you know, and sometimes it's with the wrong people. And then I think Brad Pitt was a really good example, like Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. People are like, Young Redford, here we go. Yeah. It's on. People get so excited for it. Like the super handsome guy who can, who's mysterious. Women want to have sex with him. Guys want to hang out with him. It's the hardest thing to find as an actor, right? Sure. Um, uh, uh, listen, I think, first of all, you know, finding another Redford is going to be very, very hard. Uh, harder still because we're not making nearly as many of the movies, uh, the kinds of movies now. Uh, where you would find that person, uh, you're gonna, you're more likely to find that on Netflix. So you don't think like X Men Seven is is a good <laughs> I don't. reading ground for the um, next Redford? Um, <laughs> I don't. Which is why, unless I am mistaken, has Redford ever been in? He has been in a Marvel movie. No, which I one? Swear. Yeah, he plays. Uh, he plays this. I think the Secretary of Defense. In, in the Marvel universe, it's a it's a it's a it's a very convoluted and strange thing. It Listen, was a, the, there was rumors that it, the old man and the gun was going to be his last film, and then he showed up in the biggest movie of the year in Endgame. He's in it for about one minute. It's it, 
The dude okay. made an indecent proposal. Redford is is not ashamed <laughs> to take a paycheck every once in a while. You know what's notable though, and you 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 will definitely appreciate this as a writer. His three big, those first three big roles on film are are Neil Simon and William Goldman and James Salter. Imagine those being the people who get to write your part. Yeah. And knowing what his strength is as an actor, too. The sort mm-hmm. of the pullback, the quiet. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so lucky. You need to have people who can provide you with That's that right. to now, be a great star. Uh, Bill would write another four movies uh, that uh, Redford starred in after this. Redford turned on him. Jerk. With All the President's Men? <laughs> to the whole revisionist history of all of it. It was yeah, awful. I agree. And then it got completely debunked on the internet and Redford was made to look like a fool. I will say this <laughs> nice thing about Redford, though. All the President's Men, which we've done a rewatchables on. The scene when he's submitting his copy and mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman is going over and grabbing it and looking at it and Redford's watching it and then he finally confronts him is unbelievable Redford. Like that that five minutes for him, he's just so good in that. I don't know who else could have done that. I think he's great in the whole movie. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he produced the movie. Um, that was his Apex Mountain, in case you were wondering. Brilliant movie, sir. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, another What's Age the Best... Uh, what? Uh, Ordinary People is a close second mm. in terms of Apex Mountain. But if we're just talking about actors. We're uh, talking about in 1976, he's probably the biggest star in the world. He also has the juice to produce his own movie, get it funded, I see. put yes. himself in it. He's never had more things going you for are, him. You are correct. Another thing that's aged the best, widescreen. So this movie had... A pretty crappy run on TV in the 70s, 80s, and 90s with the square TVs because mm-hmm. it's filmed It's filmed super wide. Sure. It's like the super posse scene. That scene now, if you have the right TV is in, and the right transfer and all that stuff, it's fucking gorgeous to watch that. And in like 1982, it's just like they're cutting it. They're moving the picture to kind of match the guys. It's well, really- The movie is beautiful looking. Yeah. Um, Widescreen's a friend for this movie. Mm-hmm. Conrad Hall and Edith Head doing the costumes. Conrad Hall shoots it. Edith Head is doing the look. That's that's powerhouse. That's like maybe the best cinematographer of of his generation, and maybe the best costume designer of her generation. That's on the right. same movie. And again, George Roy Hill, George Roy Hill, George Roy. Right. So quickly, Butch and Etta. The the whole threesome whole thing is is they pull it off and it could have gone wrong in a lot of different ways. But the chemistry that they have, even though they're not dating, and that whole scene with the uh, with the bicycle scene and just everything yeah, about she how they're interacting, see everything of what would happen if if I met you first. It should have um, gone terribly, and it doesn't. It's actually I, like believable, and I'm in. I it. agree. What do you think of the uh, of the scene where we meet at a uh, uh, for the first time. I, I don't think you could do the scene uh, uh, today. Um, I had that in which age the worst. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm no, that's personal. Do it, though. That's why you're no. here. That's why you're here. <laughs> no, that's a, well, well. We'll hold that thought. What? Anything else? Age the best for you guys? Well, just about Edda. The thing is, is like the love story is between Butch and Sundance. It's not between her, and so she's a key figure in the story. But even she ultimately recognizes that it's between the two of them, and that's why it never creeps into a kind of weirdness. With the story. Where they're fighting yeah. over. Yeah. Because yeah. they're loyal to each other to over each other. any other person. Mm-hmm. Any other what's age the best? You love the horses. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Not as much as what I like. I got to say, I love uh, dynamite is something that we just don't see in movies anymore. I uh, know. Uh, I agree with that. I just also, like the old school dynamite, <laughs> hooking it up to a safe, blowing it up. I, just for me, the, I, I wouldn't change a word of the dialogue. Yeah. You know, it's perfect. Anything else, Sean? 
No, I think we I think we've got it. So what stage is the best? I think for me it's the widescreen, just because having lived through thirty years of this movie a certain way and now it's just more fun to watch. It's aged nicely for me. Okay, I'll agree with you. Mm, I I I do love Redford in this movie. Okay. What stage the and worst? I love the Swingle Singers. <laughs> <laughs> what stage the worst? Uh, you mentioned when we meet Etta. Yeah, when we meet Etta, uh, uh, it was half a century ago. It, it, it's I'm not blaming anybody, um, uh, but uh, it, you know we we think that there's strangers and that at gunpoint Redford's making her uh, undress, and she it seems says, like it's a date rape scene. It's a right. problem. Uh, uh, you know. Today, the reaction to that scene would be you are turning the idea of rape into something sexy and that it's yeah. a woman's fantasy that uh, that a yeah. guy do that. And uh, that scene would never get shot, much less uh, released. I have that as I well. I agree. The, uh, the montages are just kind of weird. And I think I like them, but they it also makes it feel like a distinctly 60s, 70s kind of movie. I think that the... Uh, the montage going to New York and then to taking the ship to Bolivia. I think it goes on for a while. It does. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, I just feel like we would do it better now. It's if, if you were going to just say, Hey, you can perform surgery on one thing in this movie. I think the montages would be the easiest thing to just kind of move along better. And I do better. I don't know if this is age the worst, but I'm curious what you guys think about the opening credit sequence. And the way that he uses a sort of silent film style to tell their story, because it 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 got convoluted, right, with what Goldman had originally imagined that would do. Yes, um, I go back and forth. It's funny. Every time I watch the movie, I almost forget that actually it doesn't start the way uh, I always think uh, yeah. that it starts. And I'm never crazy about the opening title sequence, but I am still going to give it an A for they tried something new. Well, you're Uh, also talking it's 40 plus years since there were silent movies. So it made a lot more sense in 1969 to start a movie that way than I think it would now. Right. Now it'd be Uh, like, what the fuck is this director doing? Why are we doing it this way? But Golden's desire to have that be a part of the story where they see a movie of their own lives is interesting. But that's, it, you would that never, doesn't work because we're not there yet. You would never know that, though, watching uh, uh, the movie. Yeah. Uh, no, you would never know that. Um, he was... Uh, it was important to Bill that we understand that this the, this wasn't taking place like in the old, old days. Um, uh, you know, he had an argument with, uh, with one of the studio executives uh, about Butch's line... Um, uh, I've got vision. The rest of the world's wearing bifocals. Uh, uh, and the studio executive said, you know, aren't bifocals uh, uh, kind of modern? Uh, and Bill said, these guys were alive when my grandmother uh, yeah. uh, was alive. Uh, this isn't the uh, the way back machine. And I think that that's the silent movie that he wanted to show that right. there were like that Thomas Edison right. had invented this thing already. Right. It's like 1900. But you're right. It at, Seeing it at the beginning of the movie doesn't really... Anything but, else age the worst for you? No. This is a as close to a, a perfect movie as we may yeah, ever do on this yeah, show. Yeah. Um, all right. The winner is the date rape scene. Uh, a couple more casting what ifs. Natalie Wood considered for the role of at a place. And then um, I, we, you, we covered everything else. I think we should talk about Catherine Ross, though. Yeah, who, of course. Who was in The Graduate. Which was the biggest movie of the year before. Mm-hmm. 
and then was in this movie, which is the biggest movie that year. And she was kind of, kind of, kind of in pole position for if you need a good looking actress to be in a movie, she's your number one choice. Didn't want it. Wasn't that interested in having that power and basically just Um, toned it back and did some stage and the moment left. Always worth noting, Catherine Ross, when she was in The Graduate, I think she was, uh, I think Anne Bancroft was only like three or four years older than uh, Oh, yeah, they did did Uh, a little chicanery with that. Yeah. Um, And Etta in in Butch and Sundance, doesn't Bill tell us that it's unclear whether Etta was a school teacher or a prostitute? I always thought she was a prostitute. Yeah, maybe she's both. He says because of how pretty she was in the photos and how cleanly dressed she was. He believed that she was a school teacher. He wanted to believe. He, so he made her a school teacher. But there's no way to prove that. The historical record's a little fuzzy on the real life Etta. Uh-huh. Um, it would have been incredibly unusual for a woman that old. And by that old, we're probably talking about 24 or something, uh, to be unmarried. Right. So she's, who was the lady in Love Story? What was her name? Allie McGraw. So Allie McGraw's in there. That's a little market correction action, but- in mm-hmm. a weird twist, Catherine Ross allowed the market correction. She probably could have market corrected Allie McGraw because I think she was a better actress. Uh-huh. But she just kind of gave up. And then Allie McGraw kind of took those parts for the next couple of years. Are you talking years. just female right. stars at this time? Good-looking brunette who could act. Yeah, yeah. So it's like Mia Farrow, Ellen Burstyn, who are the big actresses. Yeah, at that Catherine Ross is uh-huh. getting yeah. the part overall, though. Yeah. Uh, that's right. I don't know the Catherine Ross story. I, I did some why. research on it. It just seemed like she was really difficult and didn't really like to like being in a lot of movies. My and favorite that was tidbit it. about her okay. is that she meets Sam Elliott, who has a very, very small role in this movie, yeah. on this movie. And then, but then they don't date. And then 15 years later, they reconnect and get married. To and they, third husband. Married. This is horrible, but I don't remember Sam Elliott. He's, 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 he's yeah, like he's one of the, he's like a, like a card player. In, 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 oh, okay. In, in, All right. Um, the Dan Waiters Award for the biggest heat check in the movie. Okay. We can either have the giant or we or was that was that guy a giant or just he seemed like a giant compared What's his to name, Harvey? Whatever uh, that guy's name was. I thought it was Richard Keel for a second, the guy from uh, the Bond yeah, movies, but it's you're not. Right, the no. character's name is Harvey. I did think it was the guy from the Bond it's movies. It's not though. I don't think he was a giant, although Bill would work with a giant. They shot him, they uh, shot him upwards. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That is a big guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as I understand this category, um, I would give it to Strother Martin. Yeah, Strother yeah, Martin. Right? I, I agree. I love that scene. Adam Lock. He's going for it. Also, Strother Martin. I mentioned the three westerns this year. Strother Martin appears in all three westerns. Strother oh, Martin's right? in True Grit. He's in The Wild Bunch. And he's in this movie. That's pretty amazing. You're gonna die. You're gonna die bloody. Exactly. Hey, we're taking a quick break to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. Oh gosh, I saw this. I just wanted to tell you while we're recording. Um, I took, I took my wife, and my daughter. And we went on a Saturday night and it was a packed house and it was fucking awesome. Well, thank and Jeff you very Daniels much. was great. And the thing I loved about it, like with a really good play like that, is like just how well executed like everything is. Every single tiny decision is done. There's no fuck ups at all. It's just like, well, I'm always, I, anytime I go to a Broadway play, I'm always amazed by how impeccable everything has to be for the play to work. I, uh, you and know, that play, I thought, was impeccably done. Probably more so if Aaron's written it. Uh, well, yeah. no, I think that, uh, f- thanks very much. And uh, the, all, all credit, certainly for what you're talking about, goes to uh, a, a crew and a cast that show up to play every night. And you you you, you cook some ingredients for Jeff Daniels. 
put an apron he, on him and yeah. <laughs> let him cook. He uh, gave him some pots and pans and let him do his thing. Well, his, his thing is pretty <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you liked it. How many things have you done with him? Three. Uh, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Steve Jobs in the newsroom. So is this uh, like and, your guy and, now? And, 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 or do you I, trade if, in guys after like no, 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 seven, no, no, eight no. years hey, for hey, another If I person? work with Jeff another 10 times, it won't be enough. Dumb, uh, dumb and Dumber him. 3, maybe? Sure. Get the script for that? <laughs> yeah. I'm there. Harry, Harry, Harry at age 60. Uh, anyway, check that out on Broadway. What was the, it's tokillamockingbird.com? Uh, tokillamockingbird.com or tokillamockingbird on Broadway. I mean, there's no tickets it, available for like seven years, but if uh, you have a chance to go, you should yes, go. Yes, but uh, uh, go anyway. It was big success though. It was risky for you. It, uh, uh, sure. Uh, every, every time, anytime you do a play, you just never know. Uh, that's right. And uh, certainly we never knew it was going to be, uh, this, you, you said you can't get a ticket. Uh, uh, we're sold out. Uh, for a long time, it's uh, it was a big hit with the critics. It's a big hit at the box office. Um, and uh, Scott Rudin's happy. Uh, Scott Rudin's happy. So <laughs> hard I'm, to make that guy happy. I'm I'm safe for another few months. Uh, um, <laughs> guy uh, can stamp his fingers and uh, you lose everything. And he has. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I've had the time of my life uh, uh, doing it. I, I really have. There's there's just nothing like having a play in New York. Well, congrats. It's Thanks. really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Half-assed internet research. Body count. Can you guess how many people died in this movie? All right. Um, it was higher well, than I it's, thought. It's 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 the, uh, the the guys in Bolivia who try to rob them uh, uh, of the payroll, and I think there are five of them. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, to go through all the uh, deaths. Uh, okay. I'm just going to guess a lot of yeah. army members at the end too. I mean, well, but we don't see any of them get. They get shot though, right? No, when they as soon as. They come out of the thing. We hear bullets, but the frame freezes. But before that, the shootout. You know, when they're they're defending themselves, when they get shot. I oh, think yeah, they're yeah. just covering. Just covering? Well, the answer yeah. is 30. 30. Yeah. I don't know whether that seems high or low. It's but more than I would have yeah. thought. Yeah. Though not as it much. It seems a little higher than I thought. Yeah. Um, we should mention 1979. I remember this because I'm old enough. They did Butch and Sundance, the early days, a prequel. Yeah, they did. Tom Berenger is Butch Cassidy and William Catt, the greatest American hero, is the Sundance mm-hmm. kid. Goldman did not write it. He's a producer. Believe and it people, or not, people I'm didn't like it. <laughs> they yeah. did like it. I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, people weren't a fan. Um, Catherine Ross did not get along with George Roy Hill in this movie and said any day away from George Roy Hill was a good one. She was scolded and banned from the set for a day because she operated a camera during a scene and George Roy Hill found out. Which Conrad Hall allowed her to do and then Conrad Hall and Catherine Ross shortly after that got married. And I wonder if that was a significant mm, factor. Lisa, in there's there. some courting. Yes. I didn't know that uh, women are attracted to being allowed to use a camera. I'm going to do that trick for you. Yeah, we're really getting helpful information. <laughs> Possible. But I wish I had, had years ago. <laughs> she... Uh, they filmed the silent bicycle riding scene sequence. She liked that the most because George Roy Hill, the second unit of the crew, and not George Roy Hill, handled that scene. So apparently there was some tension. Well, um, I had no idea this yeah. was going on between Catherine Ross and George Roy Hill. Bolivia scenes were in Mexico, and everybody came down with Montezuma's revenge except for Redford, Newman, and Catherine Ross, who were smart enough not to drink the water. I read that they only drank soda and beer yeah. the whole time. And Newman said most fun he's ever had making a film. He and Redford drank a ton of beer in Mexico. They became very legitimately close and were buddies and really looked out for each other for the rest of their careers, or at least Newman's career. That's nice to know. Yeah. Uh, you can. I was. Uh, I never know when the actors are like, yeah, we were so close in the set. It actually seems like they actually were really close and stayed close. Uh, 
I think that you can, first of all, I, I think that you, you get that sense on screen yeah. uh, in both Butch and Sundance and The Sting. Yeah. Um, Redford wanted to do all his own stunts. Newman was upset that Redford wanted to jump on the train roof and run along the tops of the cars and jump in. Th- and he actually did that. And uh, Newman didn't want him to do that. He said, I want to lose a co-star. He did it anyway. This one stunned me. The filmmakers tried to get Bob Dylan to sing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. That's Sean's favorite musical artist. Um, um, Bob Dylan? He I, declined. I, I, ju- I just saw the Rolling Thunder Review documentary that Scorsese did, and I was like, this is the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely amazing. That's a complete aside. Okay, but I, I can't wait to see that. I understand why they would, why they'd want to go for that. Again, they were trying to, you know, reach their arm across that century divide and just make it feel also a contemporary. Bob Dylan in 1969. I mean, that's... It's a pretty nice year to get Bob Dylan. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, they would have. They, been didn't, they didn't get Bob. What was, can we talk about the the interlude, the musical interlude? Did, sure. Because going back, Redford is very honest about how he just thought that that killed the movie the first time he saw it. He thought, yeah, that, that he didn't whole like sequence it. Sequence was terrible, and that they scotched it, and it happens, you know, sort of at a critical moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a part of the cultural fabric of movies at this point. Like when I saw it for the first time, I already knew what that was and what it represented. I had to read about it. And the first time I saw it at the time, it seemed like it was really well received. And that song was a big hit. Do you think that that still works? That point of the movie? I I can see sitting in a screening room, uh, watching a, an early cut of the film. Yeah. Uh, for the first time, you know, being Redford and feeling like, Oh, you know, this thing was great. And then they put this bicycle uh, 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 scene in here. This is insane. I can see, like, showing up at George Roy Hill's house and beseeching him uh, uh, to cut this scene. Now it's classic and iconic. And I think it's, I think you can make a case it's the most iconic scene from the movie. I think for people like us, it's the waterfall jump. But I think. Mm-hmm. For it's, broader yeah, audiences, that the Newman done the bicycle doing stunts, and that song was yeah. like the biggest hit of that whole year. It's been That's parodied right. the most. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, BJ Thomas's people we mentioned were not happy. It's they thought they thought he ruined his career. Really? Um, so crazy. This movie motivated David Fincher to become a director. It motivated you to become a screenwriter. Yes. It's weird you guys haven't worked together. You guys should do something together. Uh, we you ever sh- thought of working with David Fincher? <laughs> I, I did think about working with him when I wrote uh, a movie about the founding of Facebook. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> what was that movie? <laughs> Does the social network not happen if this movie's never made? Mm. Yes. Yes, yes, the social it network happens, does not happen. That's also, does that, um, does uh, that the, happen with you and Fincher? It doesn't happen with me and Fincher because uh, I think that... Um, uh, I'm uh, a professional typewriter maintenance guy um, and a Fincher shooting music videos. <laughs> uh, the uh, We talked about the only major conflict with Newman and George Rahill was the Bledsoe scene. Um, all right, we got to- And re- uh, what was that conflict? Newman, Newman thought the scene should come at the end of the chase. George Hill was like, no, we're doing it this way. And they just argued about it every day on the set forever. Newman felt that should be the catalyzing incident that sends them to Bolivia. I see. And Wait, we got to rip through. We're behind schedule. Okay. Apex Mountain. I say yes for Paul Newman. I think after this movie, he's at the 
absolute peak of his powers coming off the end of this decade. And this movie's a massive thing. And I think he okay. can do whatever he wanted. Agree. And then Catherine Ross. And I don't think that would be it. it certainly not for Redford. I ben guess Nicole George Roy Hill. Mm-hmm. I, I mailed you his IMDb of the next 20 years of films he made. It's like a murder, even Funny Farm. I really like 1988. <laughs> he had 20 Stop straight it. years of movies that I, I loved where occurred to Garp. Yeah. I just, I just like that dude. Yeah. Uh, he Joe, and he and, and Goldman reunite for the Gray Waldo Pepper too, which is a great, yeah. very underseen movie. Yeah. Joey Pants Award we uh, to the that guy in a movie named after Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, Struther Martin, who was Struther Martin in the '60s, but now I think he's just kind of that guy. Okay, but I, I might movie. give it to George Firth. Uh, so which one was he? Woodcock. Um, oh, that's even better. Three H Harriman of the United Pacific because you you George Firth is actually he's a writer. Um, uh, but you, you see him acting a, a lot in, uh, in roles that, um, this terrible. Firth. It's a great, that the, guy name too. He's got a great face. Like if, if Charles Grodin passes on something, George Firth, uh, <laughs> yeah. we have the Saul Rubinek, they knew category for best overacting. <laughs> so Saul Rubinek and true romance. <laughs> When he realizes he's been betrayed, he just says, you stab me in the heart! He just goes way yeah. over the dials it up. Uh-huh. So we like to reward people who dial it up in a movie, but I didn't really feel like anybody overacted in I this can't movie. think. I'm kind of... Uh, right? Did you feel like that way? I'm trying to think of somebody Scrolling who Scrolling through the step, movie right now really yeah. quickly, and I can't think of anyone who did. I'm like going back to the brothel, and um, remember Sweet Face? Yeah, uh, I just don't uh, see no, it. No, he was fine. Yeah. Uh, all he really did. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there's anybody. Um, pick a nits. Uh, I don't have a lot. By of, the way, I'm sorry. Back at the yeah. brothel, Cloris Leachman. I was just going to say that. Oh yeah. yeah. Pick a nits. I don't have a lot of nits to pick other than I, I didn't totally understand at uh what her end game was. Would be my only nitpick. Like, so did she love Sundance? But she's just the third wheel for these guys. And did she have a thing for Butch? Like. Okay, this it is felt a tiny bit unexplored. Perhaps something that doesn't age as well either. But uh, back then, uh, in 1969, it needed no explanation why a woman would want to be with just follow uh, these dudes around. Powerful guy, you know. Any other nitpicks for you? You said this was the perfect movie. Um. Well, I find Act Two to be a little bit weird and long. And maybe that's just because the conventions of watching movies have changed a lot. But And Goldman writes about this. But Act 2 is just a long chase sequence, basically. And yep. almost nothing else happens. And you pointed out there's very little dialogue. And I think that the only thing that happens with older movies is that younger audiences have more, more difficult time with them because they're paced differently. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it last night, I was pretty surprised by how slow act two is, even though it's really important what's happening. I had that too. I didn't want Aaron to get mad at me, but I had that too. Well, go to hell. <laughs> uh, all right. Because uh, I could take you guys into an editing room. Okay. Yeah. Put the reels up and say, knock yourself out. Take three minutes. Uh, uh, I knew he was going to like the picking hits category. <laughs> I think if they made this movie now though, the studio would have been like, Hey, this is all great. But could we have a scene where there's like a rattlesnake and they have to like fight <laughs> yeah. the rattlesnake yeah. for like a minute just to like, just to there's, add a little juice? Yeah. What there's, if Butch had a superpower? Yeah. <laughs> there's no question about it. And what if a spaceship comes the, and then calls up Butch quickly? The mock rape notwithstanding, there is no love scene with, uh, with Catherine Ross. Yeah. True. That's true. Still, you have a problem with that too. Yeah. Uh, best quote. 
We mentioned the bifocals one. Boy, I got vision in the rest of the world. Where's bifocals? Every day you get older, it's the law. I'm over the hill, but it can't happen to you. And that's just what I want to hear. Every day you get older. No, that's a law. That's just a good senior yearbook quote right. if you're in high school. This is no time for bravery. I'll let you. I'll go. This is no time for bravery. I'll let you. Um, <laughs> that's a great one. Uh, and uh, I'll stitch you when you're... Catherine Ross has that whole great monologue, blah, blah, blah. I'll stitch you when you're wounded. I'll do anything you ask me except one thing. I won't watch you die. I'll miss that scene if you don't mind. So I'll go with you and I won't whine. And I'll sew your socks. And I'll stitch you when you're wounded. And I'll do anything you ask of me, except one thing. I won't watch you die. I'll miss that scene if you don't mind. Yeah. That's uh, a good one. That, that's a great moment. So is the last, uh, the last line of the movie, um, uh, which is for a second there, I thought we were in trouble. You didn't see the fours out there, did you? The fours? No. Oh, good. Moment, I thought we were in trouble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. so uh, is uh, is great. So it's the first line of the movie. Um, and I can't swim. I can't swim. Fan- the uh, most famous line from the I movie. love, I think we lost them. And then Sundance is like, I don't think so. You know, and he's like, yeah, yeah I don't either. You know, um, that whole sequence. Next time I say, uh, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Let's go someplace like Bolivia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kid. The next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Next time. Uh, next category. Only have two left. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? <laughs> this is an actual category in the pod. Now, it did make me think, like, I would be really instinctively just mad and furious that Netflix was remaking this as a 10-episode Netflix show. And then my next question would be, like, who's doing it? Uh-huh. And then I, you might be able to suck me in, is my point. You might be able to. It's been 50 years. Can we remake something every 50 so years in some way? It's written by Aaron Sorkin, and it's starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Well, thank you very much. I, wow. th- I think its problem would be the movie. Um, uh, mm. I, I think we'd have a—let's say there was enough material to do, you know, 10 hours on Butch and Sundance. Um, uh, I think people would just be waiting for those movie moments uh, and feeling like that they got diluted somehow. I think the movie's just too big. It's the same problem with The Godfather. Yeah. It's hard to disassociate yourself from what we already have ingrained in our head to then redo yes. it. Someone Did, will find a way to do it, though. This, these things, there is no sanctity in these things. <laughs> yeah. Someone will find well, a way. Well, they did it. It was Harley well, Davidson listen, you're and You're talking to somebody who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Maybe that's the way to do it, though. You would have to update it and make it like 2019, basically. And I don't know how you would do that. How in the world do you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Two hackers. <laughs> I only have one unanswerable question. So this is the second to last category. Uh-huh. Probably unanswerable questions. Who plays these guys now? This movie never happens. Oh. We're just starting from scratch in 2000. I actually feel like it's more fun to just go by the decade who would have played it each decade. But just right now, 2018, who would be your draft picks? I know. First of all, I don't think that Matt and Ben are a bad idea. Um, I think that'd be great. Uh, I think that's a 2009 idea because they're younger in 2009. I think now they're too old. Isn't that good? Um, Maybe. uh, I I mean, if it's about the times have changed under our feet, 
Um, mm-hmm. is, is it not being as young as it used to be? So you're okay with the, with the if these two characters were in their late forties? Well, Butch needs to be yes. a little bit older. I mean, I mean, Newman was thirteen or fourteen years older than Redford, I think. So it's it's okay at least for Butch. Sundance, you maybe you want a little bit of like a young gun. So you'd have I, Damon I, as Butch and Affleck as Sundance. I gotta say, yeah, I, I might I might go to that movie. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, going to I that would. Movie. Um, or would you have Clooney and Pitt? I would. Um, uh, uh, or Pitt, because uh, I think Pitt can play either part. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. both of those guys actually really might be too old. They're both in their mid fifties. See, I think that, that, that's that's a good thing. And and it's, I'm not just defending people who are my age. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, <laughs> okay. I'm with two guys in their fifties. Um, uh, I I want to feel like they have had a whole life of successfully robbing trains mm-hmm. and living the life that they uh, uh want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, before. They're being chased out, you know, to South America. Um, Pitt's done Jesse James. We know he can do it. Yeah. Uh, young people is tough because yeah, I mean, a lot of you young people. Want to see Tom Cruise in this movie? What if it was Denzel and his son? But <laughs> uh, by, by the way, it, it can be Denzel, um, and his son is a great actor. But I just think that they have to be closer in age. Because mm-hmm. um, his son, be a, whose name is not David Washington, yeah. Yeah, um, he's been on this podcast. Yeah, where did he play football? Uh, U- USC, USC I yeah, think, yeah. I think USC. Receiver? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought he was a running back. No, he's a receiver. Um, did a stint with the Rams, right? Any any younger, like, generation after oh, Affleck okay, and Damon? fine. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Ryan Gosling and... Uh, we never mentioned Leo, FYI. Leo is Sundance. It's kind of like in Leo's wheelhouse. See, just, Leo just now, I think, is Butch and Gosling is Sundance because there's probably 10 years between those guys, too. Leo's more of a Sundance. Leo's more of a Sundance. But his age. Yeah, but, no, 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 but if only if you're pairing him with Gosling, that was yeah. not a problem. Yeah. Um, listen, we've named a lot of guys who would be really good in this movie and whose studios would be happy to have. It would movie. have to be somebody truly famous I would on give both parts. Anything right now. If this movie had never been written or made, so that it could be, you could have taken it. it. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know, because screenwriters talk all the time about, but it's it's not just movies you love; it's movies you really wish you'd written. Right? You know who's a great would be a great Butch uh, is Ethan Hawke. Wow, good time See, of his no, career. I think that he would be a really good Sunday. No, Chatterbox. Okay, all the care in the world, not physically imposing, doesn't know how to shoot a gun. But can talk his way out of any situation. He's got the wry sense of humor. Okay. Also, Ryan Reynolds as Butch. Oh, he, yeah, he would be good too. Ryan Reynolds. He's a very good actor. Last category is who won the movie. This is we have to do it. Really, we have to do it. We approach it like sports. Somebody has to win the movie. Can't be tied. Uh, uh, okay, I, mean, I appreciate your. It's, I believe me. I, I give the speech about soccer to people all the time that, that a sporting event simply cannot end yeah, in a There's no tie. shootouts. Uh, there's no okay, shootouts in the rewatchables. <laughs> God, uh, there's actually an answer. So, and you're going to be not traumatized after I give it to you. But I want to see what you think first. Okay, I'm going to say Redford. I know what you're going to say. You're, uh, you're going to say I'm, I'm factoring in a lot of things, uh, uh, like what he did to his career. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to say Goldman. Oh, I didn't know that was allowed. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, of course it's uh, of course it's Bill. Oh, uh, uh, okay. I think Goldman uh, wins the movie. Let me go back. 
Bill, it wins the movie, hands down. He makes a ton of money for it. It sets up his career. He becomes a dean of screenwriters. It, he completely remodels what a buddy movie is. By the way, I cannot emphasize enough how much $400,000 in 1969 <laughs> what for is a that? screenplay. It's like $100 million, though. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah. Um, he says he only wrote three drafts of this movie, too. But it took him uh, eight years. But three drafts and $400,000? We, uh, I can tell you that um, when we count drafts, (laughs) (laughs) we use our own. Not totally accurate, maybe? We're we're like doing it in base seven. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it in 1969. You're you're working on some crummy typewriter. And it's not like you're on a laptop, you know, deleting a sentence you just wrote. That's right. You're typing. It's like, this is it. You're typing it. It's done. It's on paper. Uh, But of course, Bill wins. I think he does. Yeah. I I think I was actually surprised how easy that was. No argument. Because I was going Newman Redford, Newman Redford. I I was like, wait a second. Goldman won. Of course. Yeah. Um, No contest. This was awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Are you going to come back and do it again? I would love to. Yeah, uh, this I love was this. fun, right? Yeah, uh, I, I love this. Yeah. So thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your kind words about To Kill a Mockingbird. Aaron Sorkin, thank you. Sean Fantasy, thank you. And uh, we'll be back in the Rewatchables some other time. All right. Thanks so much to Sean and thanks to Aaron Sorkin. That was great. Thanks to Vudu, a leading streaming app with a library of over 150,000 titles available to rent or buy. Over 10,000 titles you can watch for free on their ad-supported on-demand service. Everything from the latest Hollywood blockbusters to your favorite indie films without subscriptions or contracts. And if you go through our Rewatchables library, you'll find a bunch of ones that we've already done. Long, awesome podcasts about on the Vudu app, including um, Fatal Attraction. Most recently, Karate Kid, we have not done yet, but that's on there too. A whole bunch of other good ones. Head to voodoo.com slash rewatchables to sign up and start watching today. VUDU.com slash rewatchables, where you can also find John Wick 3 early. You can you can get in now. You can buy it if you're excited about that. Uh, the BS Podcast returns on Monday night with Cousin Sal Guest Alliance, season 13. Be ready for that one, and we will see you down the road in the rewatchables. <laughs>